We're starting Bhagavad Gita again, and we're seeing in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita that the Lord's dear friend Arjuna is overtaken by his separate interests. So much so that he's abandoned his duty in life. I think we've seen this ourselves from time to time. We become overwhelmed by circumstance so much so that we can't we can't function properly, whether the circumstance be good or bad. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes one will get a windfall, perhaps win the lottery or some other such thing. Someone will pass on and all of a sudden they find a find out that they're extremely wealthy and they lose track of themselves and we're all familiar with the other side of the coin something goes bad there's some mishap <coughs> in the family some personal mishap some bodily discomfort pain disease and we're thrown for a loop <laughs> we're thrown out out of our normal lifestyle and we we abandon our our duties in life so we can see here at the beginning of bhagavad gita arjuna has been thrown out of his normal dutiful consciousness he has dutiful consciousness he's a he's a leader he's a kshatriya the circumstances of having to confront his adversaries and his familiarity with them. Some of his adversaries are his dear friends. Some are family members. And some are his teachers. We went over last week the fact that even in putting forth so many justifications to justifications against having to do his duty. He put forth so many arguments. Arguments based on social responsibility, arguments based on religious principle, dharma. He tried to make a point with his dear friend Krishna. God was actually playing the part of his charioteer. He tried to put forth these arguments, in order to avoid his duty. His duty as a leader of society, his duty at this particular time and in this particular circumstance was to, unfortunately, engage in battle. All diplomatic solutions had been completely exhausted. They tried everything to avoid this battle. It could not be avoided. The other side was not, had done practically everything uh, as aggressors. And we mentioned there's six kinds of aggressors. And the adversaries, they had, but they had certainly set fire to their home. They had stolen their riches. They had taken their land. They had stolen their wife and tried to defile her. And the last one is 
attacked with, uh, with the weapon. A tra- attack with a weapon. They were aggressors, and the uh, and despite all attempts for a diplomatic solution, it was not to be had. And Arjuna put forth his arguments. And we also mentioned last week that in putting forth his arguments, Arjuna showed by those arguments his qualification as a disciple. I believe it's Baladev Vidyabhushan's purport. He brought out this fact. The qualifications for knowledge of the Supreme Self from the Brihad Aranyaka Upanishad. So four qualifications. In order to obtain spiritual knowledge, knowledge of the self, four qualifications are there. Qualification one, control of the mind and senses. So if we look to the first chapter, the 32nd verse, we see Arjuna had control of his senses because he was willing to take the renounced order and run off to the forest. For him, that would take great control. Indifference to the world, in the first chapter, 35th verse. I don't know the exact verses here. Maybe I should make I think sure. He's saying that, uh, that uh, what, are, you know, what is the benefit of having all those riches? Yes, you know. that's the 35th verse. So indifference to the world. Another qualification, tolerance. Second chapter, fifth verse. Better to live by begging. What amount of tolerance for a a leader like Arjuna to be willing to live the life of a beggar. He's a king. There's quite a difference between a beggar and a king. But Arjuna was willing to do that. And the fourth, hmm, he was full of faith. Second chapter, seventh verse. He has, now I am your disciple and a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. He has full confidence that his guru, his teacher, Krishna, can give him the proper knowledge of how to conduct, of, of how to resolve all of his conflicts. He has full faith. I fully surrender unto you. Please instruct me. Whatever you say, I will hear and I will take good guidance from it. So this evening, we get to the to the essence. Bhagavad Gita is called Gita Panishad. Panishad. Gita, of course, is song. In this instance, Bhagavad Gita is the song of the Supreme Lord himself. Upanishad means to bring one near. Upa, come near. Come come near and hear the truth. And the Upanishads are shruti. (coughs) They are the codes of, of transcendental knowledge. And when those codes are expanded and elaborated upon by the great saints who have realized their meanings, they give us Smriti. They give us historical accounts of various incidents wherein the essence of those spiritual codes come to life. 
And we can see how those codes affected someone and led to their spiritual enlightenment. So tonight, we're going to start, and Krishna is going to abandon his friendly relationship with Arjuna. Not really abandon it, because that's not possible. That's their eternal relationship. Their eternal loving relationship is that of friendship. But, in this instance, he is going to take the position of teacher, of guru, in order to help his friend eliminate this dilemma caused by his weakness due to family affection and misapplication of religious doctrine. Because Arjuna's primary objective, primary objection of all the things he mentioned, the primary one was what a transgression of religious principle it would be for me to engage in battle with those people who are my superiors, who are my teachers. This was what was most, most prevalent in Arjuna's arguments. Krishna now is speaking as teacher in text 11, chapter 2. The Supreme Personality of God had said, While speaking learned words, you are mourning for that which is not worthy of grief. Those who are wise lament, neither for the living nor the dead. Learned words. What Arjunas was saying was not just some sentimental conception in order to avoid his duty. What he was saying was based on, on knowledge. So we can chant together the 12th verse. Tvevaham jatunasam natam neme janadipa vichayvanabhavishyama sarvevayamataparam Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us cease to be. Majanatramandasya Jirajira Salakaya Chakshur Militanyena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual masters opened my eyes. With the torchlight of knowledge I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So also, Arjuna, he, is, he needs to have his eyes open to the, his spiritual position and the spiritual position of the circumstances. He's seeing the circumstances simply based on the material condition. His friends, his so-called success in battle and the consequences of the success. He even saw the consequence of the success as being unfavorable to him. He saw, he saw that in conducting his duty, there was every likelihood that he would end up in a hellish condition because he, executing his duty, may be transgressing the Dharma Shastras, those religious principles that teach us what is right and wrong. 
Now, Krishna's instructions begin in the 11th verse. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, Asochan Avasochas Twam, Prajna Vadamscha Vasase, Gatasum Agatasumscha, Nanu Sochanti Pandita. And it's interesting that this is where Krishna begins his instruction. In this beginning verse of his instructions, what is he telling Arjuna? While speaking learned words, you are mourning for that which is not worthy of grief. Those who are wise lament neither for the living nor the dead. And Krishna's instructions end in the 18th chapter. Just abandon all varieties of religion and surrender unto me. I will protect you from any sinful reaction. You need not lament. From this first verse through the end verse, the whole thing is, Arjuna, you need not lament. You're in my association. I will give you good direction. And if you become wise by this good direction, Lamentation will not be there for you. Sarva dharmam parityansha, mamekam saranam braja. If you abandon your so-called religiosity and simply surrender unto me, there will be no bad reaction. That's the conclusion of Bhagavad Gita. So in the beginning, he's saying, if you are wise, there will be no lamentation for you. Then he makes Arjuna wise from his, by his instructions. And then he concludes by saying, there is no reaction for a wise person. If you are in wisdom, there is no question of reaction. If you simply surrender to me, give up your so-called dharma, and simply surrender unto me, I will protect you. Now, there, within this plane of existence, there is always going to be misconception. That is the nature. And spiritual knowledge is meant to dissipate all of our various misconceptions. That's the whole purpose. The more we are able to dissipate misconceptions, the more we are able to see truths the truth regarding what is matter and what is spirit and what is the right thing to do in all circumstances, the more we're able to perceive that, the more we become perfect in spiritual understanding. Once we're perfect in spiritual understanding, then there is no need for this plane of duality. Vishwanath Chakravarti brings out one thing in relation to the 11th text, one of Arjuna's arguments was first based on the Artha Shastra, the codes of conduct in normal diplomacy. And we touched upon this, didn't we? Those six items that justify the immediate killing of an aggressor are Artha Shastra. 
proper political conduct. When somebody takes your land, sets fire to your house, steals your wife, immediately some action can be there. Arjuna argued against that principle based on Dharma Shastra. What was this argument based on? Well, they may be aggressors politically. They may have stolen my land, they may have taken the kingdom, they may have taken my wife, set my house on fire, come at me with an intent to fight. They may have done these things, but still, they're older, they're superior. And at a time in my life, they were actually my teachers. And one never gives up their teacher, never loses respect for guru. That's improper conduct according to religious principle, dharma. But now we see here in the beginning of the second chapter that Krishna is giving Arjuna knowledge based on jnana shastra, on true, on true transcendental understanding. Vishwanath brings that out, that this is, this is the gradual state that Krishna has gone through, Arjuna has gone through, and then Krishna is countering those things, both Artha and Dharma, with knowledge. Transcendental knowledge. Those other Shastras are used for how we conduct our affairs in this plane of exploitation. Krishna's instructions are on the transcendental plane regarding our true spiritual nature. So they begin. Never was there a time when you did not exist, nor I, nor all the kings, nor in the future saw any of us cease to be. What's the question of killing someone? They're eternal. They're spirit soul. He goes on. Dehi no shmin yata dehi kaumaram javananjara as the embodied soul continually passes in this body from boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. A sober person is not bewildered by such a change. It seems so elemental, doesn't it? This is like the basis of spiritual understanding. But there's a difference between yon knowledge which Krishna is, is giving here, Gita Upanishad, in these codes of, of transcendental understanding. He's giving this knowledge. But knowledge is one thing. Acting on that knowledge, living your life with that knowledge as a background. Now that's another thing altogether. It's easy to have knowledge. Oh, I'm spirit soul. I'm, I'm part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. I'm not this material body. But everything I'm doing on this plane, I'm acting like I am this material body. Everything. I'm acting day in and day out like I'm at, I am this material body. And what happens when I do that? When I act the part? Well, then I also have to take the consequences of my action. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction, both on the 
elemental platform, when the apple falls from the tree, you throw up the ball, it comes back down, <laughs> and on the platform of my activities of exploitation. Not just exploitation, I also may do some good charitable work. Also a reaction. Good and bad. So Krishna goes on, trying to bring these points of knowledge into Arjuna's awareness so that he can counter those misconceptions of the application of dharmic knowledge. Now generally when we think of religiosity, when we think of dharma, we generally see it in a relative sense. We don't see it in the absolute sense. Sanatan dharma means there is an absolute sense of responsibility which supersedes tradition, which supersedes, supersedes what we may experience on this plane of exploitation. So Dharma is there. No one is going to deny that Dharma is necessary, that the Dharma Shastras are there. But they're not the same for everyone, are they? The Dharma Shastras give very, very, very strict instructions to someone who is in the renounced order of life. So strict that probably none of us in this room would be able to maintain them. I mean, even to speak to a woman. These, these are very strict things to even contemplate. Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu put forward this highest level of dharma for one in the renounced order. We won't go into that pastime right now. The point I'm trying to make is the dharma is different. The religious instruction is different according to time, place, and person. What is good for your religious, your advancement in religiosity is not, may not be what's good for me. Dilemma. Well, how do I know what's good for me and what's good for you and what I should follow and what I shouldn't follow? I mean, wow, there's so many books of knowledge and so many instructions in these books and they're all giving us so much direction, so much light as to, as to how to conduct our affairs. How do I know what's best for me? How do you know what's best for you? What did Arjuna do? He found himself a guru. Someone who could tell him, this is best for you. It wasn't sannyas, was it? Arjuna tried to use that argument. Ah, let me just take sannyas. I'm going to run off to the woods. Everybody, you're always safe if you take sannyas and renounce everything. <laughs> and his guru said, what? <laughs> That's not for you, buddy. That's not going to work for you. You're not going to be able to, to do it. I know your character. That's the position of guru. He knows our character. Or at least he should know, his, know, know our character. If he doesn't, he should be <coughs> reluctant to take on that position in a personal relationship with us. If he's so busy that you don't think he's going to take the time 
to learn your character and give you direction accordingly, you should be a little reluctant. Very important to find a qualified, bona fide spiritual instructor who's willing to take the time for us and give us proper direction and that we have enough faith in. That was one of Arjuna's qualifications, was it not? Even though he had a misconception, he had faith enough to listen, to set aside his conception of what is right and wrong and listen to someone who could tell him what's right and wrong for him according to time, place, and circumstance. O Sadhav Kunti, the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, O son of Bart, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. One thing for those who are students of Bhagavad Gita that uh, is brought out here, Krishna uses both sides of Arjuna's family in this verse. Both sides of the family. You have... You come from good stock, both from your mother's side and your father's side. He starts out, O son of Kunti. He ends, O son of Bharat. O best among men, Arjuna, the person who is not disturbed by happy distress and is steady in both is certainly eligible for liberation. Those who are seers of the truth have included that of the non-existent, the material body, there is no endurance, and of the eternal, the soul, there is no change. This they have concluded by studying the nature of both. That which pervades the entire body, you should know to be indestructible. No one is able to destroy the imperishable soul. The material body, of the indestructible, immeasurable, and eternal living entity is sure to come to an end. Therefore fight, O descendant of Bart. Neither he who thinks the living entity is the slayer, nor he who thinks it slain is in knowledge, for the self slays not, nor is slain. So 2.15, one important change in the dialogue happens at this verse. So the mention is given here of liberation in the 15th verse. Liberation meaning that one attains the state of realization of his spiritual nature. To be liberated from misconception. At this point, prior to this, Krishna's instructions are simply of the nature of knowledge. And then he substantiates that knowledge by pointing out that people that act upon this knowledge that fully comprehend what I'm saying here and fully act upon it, they are eligible to be liberated. They're eligible to be realized of their true spiritual position. The person who is not disturbed by happiness and distress, the person who knows that whatever the material circumstance we may experience in this realm, in this plane of consciousness, whatever that may be, be steady through the whole affair. Don't be disturbed. 
Happiness will come, distress will come. But they're all in relationship with the body on this plane of existence. Now, if you read these verses, as I know you all have, if we've read these verses at Prabhupada's purports to them, it's pointed out what is the nature of, of the spirit soul. What is its nature? One ten thousandth. Its size is infinitesimal. Very small. Can't perceive it. One ten thousandth the size of the tip of a hair, Prabhupada points out in the purport. But that little infinitesimal fragmental part of spiritual energy is so powerful that what pervades the whole body from that particle of spirit soul? Consciousness. Consciousness. The consciousness is there. I wanted to close this evening. I wanted to first of all mention that Coming to this point of realizing our spiritual nature is the whole discipline, is the whole objective, or should be the whole objective of spiritual practice. Unless we want to come to realize our spiritual nature, unless that is our topmost objective in practicing first of all in finding a good teacher a guru in surrendering to him in following his directions in taking knowledge from not only his directions but from the whole parampara all those great sages coming before him they've given Evidence of their realizations in Shruti. As I said, Shruti, Smriti. Shruti is the codes of truth. But then there's an explanation of those codes in layman's terms. That's for us. We're the layman. Those people that have realized this truth, they explain it. Well, so-and-so did this. And the result was they saw Krishna or somehow or other, unbeknownst to them, they did some amazingly nice thing for someone that was very dear to the Supreme Lord. And because of that, Krishna came to them and said, oh, well, you've been kind. Like we mentioned at the beginning. What kindness is there in the association of Krishna's devotees, we cannot estimate. Therefore, we take their dust, we take the, 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 the water from bathing their feet, we take their remnants. So much benefit of there. It's spiritual, pure spiritual mercy. It's generally our custom in this tradition, is it not, that when the years wrap up, we look ahead to the new year and we say, ah, I'm going to start anew. This year, all those things I said that I was going to, this year I'm going to do it. I know I've said it in the past. I haven't really. Maybe I did, tried for a month or two. We make a resolution. <coughs> ah, this year is the year. This year I'm going to get it right. 
this year. I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to be kind to everyone. I'm going to pay my taxes on time. I'm, I don't know, whatever I have to do, whatever I've neglected doing this year, I'm going to do it. Well, we're in a very unique position being spiritual aspirants. Our New Year's Day is every day. Every day. Every day when we get up, we can chant Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. And in chanting Hare Krishna, I can try to chant more attentively than I've ever been attentive ever before. I can try to be more humble. I can try to serve the devotees more. Every day is our New Year's Day. Maybe we're not yet to that stage of realization. I'm probably not. So let's at least make some resolution, not some dumb mundane resolution that I'm going to lose five pounds or I'm not going to eat at, uh, you know, at the restaurants anymore or I'm whatever <coughs> we may come up with. Let's make a substantial spiritual resolution. Vrata. When we make a spiritual resolution... When we make a vow to advance ourselves in spiritual knowledge, it's called vrata. So we should all think, we have all day tomorrow, 24 hours plus a few. So that's 27 hours we have. To think, all right, my, in my tradition, I'm in this habit of making a New Year's resolution. This year, I'm going to make a spiritual New Year's resolution. I'm going to take on a little bit more in my spiritual practice that will assure that I make firm advancements. I recommend maybe you can contemplate that for the next 27 hours. And maybe you'll find some little thing. Krishna doesn't want, oh, I'm going to renounce. I'm going to go off to the woods. Especially if we can't do it. Or I'm going to... I'm going to sell my house and my car and my business and everything I have, give all the money to the devotees of God, and I'll be left with nothing, but at least I've given everything away. No. Some little thing that we can do, as we read and study Bhagavad Gita, we'll see how Krishna himself personally recommends that one not take on more than they can Bite off more than they can chew, I think, is what we say in this society. So with that recommendation, I'd like to end on a end the year on a, uh, a very positive note. And the positive note is giving us a glimpse of things to come. There's a section in the Brihad Bhagavatam Rita. This is in the second chapter of the second part called Jnana, Knowledge, uh, text 210. He says there, the final fruit of devotional service is prema, in which by its nature, one will never be satiated. Saintly authorities deem self-realization the most unwanted secondary fruit of prema. This whole section here is talked about self-satisfaction. And here, Sanatana Goswami is pointing out 
for those that are in love with God. Prema means that we actually love God. For those that are in love with God, self-satisfaction is an unwanted secondary fruit. Commentary. This is also by Sanatan Goswami. A devotee who relishes prema is never satisfied with himself, but always wants to surrender more and more for the satisfaction of his Lord. Thus, experts in the science of devotional ecstasies condemn self-satisfaction as the most harmful impediment to bhakti, love. Of all the secondary fruits available to advancing Vaishnavas, self-satisfaction is the one they should most carefully avoid. There is room for only very few exceptions. For example, satisfaction in the self may be all right for some time for a person trying to take shelter of the Supreme Lord, but unable to give up hankering for liberation. Or the offerings of self-satisfaction and other perfections that come with the attainment of Brahman may entice an ignorant non-devotee to begin devotional service. These perfections are in fact opulences of the Supreme Person. And so they can attract certain kinds of persons towards Him. The main point being, for a devotee, Prema, which is love, is in the service. Selfless service, not self-satisfaction in that service. I'll stop there. Any questions? Yes, sir. So it sounds to me from, you know, from all these argumentations which Krishna gave so far that you know, that's a pretty good excuse to, to get rid of someone. You know, like, you know, you don't like, like, for example, he doesn't like Duryodhan and Dhritarashtra, you know, the kings, they took the power. But, you know, they are spirit souls. Get rid of them. Kill them. You know, there is no harm for him. I can kill him, you know, because he is spirit There isn't soul. any harm for him. You know, but uh, it is not for, for the soul. But uh, No, you won't hurt him. Yeah, but uh, I don't think that that's something which we can adopt as the principle in our activities in our life. Well, the problem is, if you're not doing that killing for the Supreme, then who are you doing it for? Well, you know, I'm doing it for some, someone else, for myself. Okay, so you're doing it for yourself. So the second we do it for ourselves, what happens? First of all, there is no other self. You're part and parcel okay. of Krishna. But even, uh, even how to say, like, uh, you know, you can say that you are doing this on the behalf of, of God. Like, like you can say, but did God tell you to do it is the question. We yeah. can say I'm doing it on behalf of God. We have religions all over the world. They're all yeah. fighting with each other. They're all saying what I'm doing is on behalf of God. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. That, that, you know, that, uh, well, then the point is you better find somebody that you that you know is not going to give you bad knowledge because if he gives you bad knowledge and you act on that bad knowledge right what happens 
immediately you you make your situation worse than you thought it was by having him alive. It's funny. What was the first demon Krishna killed? What does Guttara represent? No, false guru. False guru, yes. First, first killing is what? <laughs> of accepting someone who doesn't present the truth as it is. What was the demon? Guttara. Guttara? Yes. That's in Tenth right? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. I'll end there. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna.